Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. Katie, bar the door. I feel much better today than I did last Sunday. And I'm not going to preach to make up for last Sunday. We'll save that for another Sunday. But I do feel like preaching today. I'm normally a teacher, but I feel like preaching today. Is that okay? Now, for this to work, I need some participation. <laughs> All right, let's practice. Can somebody give me an amen? amen. Ah, that was strong. I like it. I like it. Can somebody give me an oh me? Yeah, there may be some of that today. Jesus is going to talk to us today and minister in this house this morning. Thank you. We've got a few that are on train. The rest of you jump on. We've got a long, not a long ways. We've got a destination today is how we should put that. Today I am going to dig into a topic that a lot of people get real mystical, real theological, real super spiritually sensitive about, and I want to blow up some of their stuff. I'm coming today full of dynamite. As Jeremiah said, it was like fire shut up in his bones. And he just had to preach the word today. And today I'm going to talk on the topic of spiritual warfare. This is something that we've not preached about much here at LiveSpring Church, being a, a new church plant. And, and I believe, and with intention, it has been that way because we need mature spiritual people to engage in spiritual warfare. Amen? Amen. Spiritual warfare is not for the novice. Spiritual warfare is not for the weak. But spiritual warfare is not something that we should be afraid of or scared of. You mentioned spiritual warfare and all types of images conjure up in our mind. You search spiritual warfare. Google the words spiritual warfare and you'll get all kinds of demonic images that come up on the screen. All of these things that their intent and their purpose is to instill fear. To speak the things that are unknown to us in the physical realm. But I want to tell you today, it's all a front. It's all a front to make us afraid or to make us fearful in doing the work and the purpose and the plan of God. So we're going to look at some of the practical sides of spiritual warfare today and some of its intents and its purposes. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. In verse 45. And you're going to say, I know this story. It has nothing to do with spiritual battles. Well, hold on. Then said David to the Philistine. This is David. With his slingshot in his hand. Five smooth stones in his shepherd's bag. Running across the valley. Towards the giant named Goliath. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. 
But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hands, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. How many likes winning? If you like winning, you can be seated. David shows up at the battle to see his brothers hiding from the enemy. David shows up at the battle to see fear has taken over not just his brothers, but the entire army of the Israelites. For David or for Goliath was called the challenger who would come out in the morning time or in the evening time, and he would stand in the valley and he would proclaim and, and boast that he is the champion. And he would defy the God of the armies of Israel. And then he would make the proclamation, send me a man to fight. And if I kill them, you'll become my servants. And if he kills me, we'll become your servants. And then he just kind of stood there and waited, I guess. Nobody tells us, scripture doesn't proclaim to us how long he stood there and waited, but Long enough that he understood nobody was going to crawl out from behind their rock and run into the valley. Matter of fact, when Goliath's footsteps began to echo through the valley, the Israelites took it as a sign to go hide. I want to tell you today, the enemy portrays himself as a giant in our lives. The enemy will do everything he can to cause fear and uncertainty to come into our lives. He will stand and make a boast in your face. If you don't kill me, I'll make you my servant. If you don't take me out, I'll take you back into bondage. Remember all the bondages you used to be in. Remember all the addictions you used to have. Remember all the trouble that used to be in your life. Remember all the hang-ups that used to bother you. Remember all the stress and the distress. Remember all the chaos and all the problems. I'll bring that all back upon you. And he stands in your valley. And he'll boast at you that he's going to take you out. But I want to declare to you today, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that lives inside of you than he that is in the world. There is no time for us as the children of God to sit and hide. But the call from God is for us to go forward into battle and to claim new territory for God. And since this story is about defying, I'm going to defy today. I defy the enemy that makes you keep fighting the same battle over and 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 over again. I'm tired 
of Christian saints dealing with the same stuff again and again and again. God called us to proclaim and to possess new lands. And here at Live Spring Church, we're going into the field this year. And we are going to possess new lands. We are going to have new victories. This is where I need you to help me this morning. We're going to have some new overcomings. We're going to have some new territory that we're going to claim. Amen? And before we step into the field, we've got to recognize there will be some spiritual battles that we face. There will be some enemies that stand up against us. And the only thing that they can proclaim in your face is your past. But we're going to have victory over those things so that they become not stumbling stones to our progress, but they become stepping stones to the next person's victory. Beware of our enemy, for he is very subtle at times. While he may stand and boast and make a big parade of who he is, the undergirdings of his tactics are cruel and mean. Let's just be honest today. I think most of us have enough holy, righteous indignation inside of us that the devil come up to your front door of your house personified and started to defy you in your living room, you'd rebuke him to his face. You wouldn't deal with that mess. You'd kick him out on the curb. He made you mad enough, you might whoop him right there in your living room. But what about when he comes in the cunning devices of deception and he begins to whisper in our ears, the old stories of our lives. And he begins to bring up temptations and things that we fight again and again and again and again. I want to tell you today, Satan is not an enemy to simply be subdued. His tactics are not, in, are not tactics that simply we learn to deal with, but he must be annihilated. He must be killed. He must be completely disposed of. And you can't fight him on your own. You need the power of the Holy Ghost if you're going to overtake him in your life. You can't win spiritual warfare in your flesh. Satan tries to show up to fight us in the flesh. But those are not really fleshly battles that we fight. They are spiritual battles. This is why we need our ear tuned to the spirit. It takes warring. It takes battling in the spiritual realm to overcome spiritual battles. Here's the practical application of what it means to be in spiritual warfare. To understand what it is, let's, let's take a short trip down what it's not. It's not big muscle-bound angels standing with flaming swords showing up in your living room to defend you. Hey, props to the creative minds and the artists that come up with these images. 
spiritual battle is not a red dragon showing up in your living room, blowing fire, trying to burn all your furniture and torch you. Spiritual warfare is not some ugly little red guy with horns and ears and a tail that steps into your living room with a pitchfork and starts pointing, trying to poke you against the wall. These are things of the imagination. These are things that blow spiritual warfare out of proportion. Spiritual warfare is not mystical. I'm going to take it a little bit further. Nothing with God is mystical. It's spiritual. And practical. People start this mystical stuff when it comes to spiritual things. I just say, okay, enjoy. I move on. So there are three practical ways you engage in spiritual battle that I'm going to share with us this morning. First is intercessory prayer. We must pray beyond the everyday needs of our life. It is good, it is appropriate, and it is right to bow your head at the dinner table or the breakfast table or the lunch table or the snack table. And thank the Lord that he has provided something for us to eat. That's not spiritual warfare. That's thanksgiving. That's appreciation to God. When there are needs in family or friends or neighbors or acquaintances, it is right and appropriate for to take their sickness or their need for healing before the Lord in prayer. That is taking our petitions before the Lord. That is going before God and, and lifting them up in prayer. These are good. These are right. These are appropriate things. We should in our prayer time have times of conversation with God where we speak to Him about our relationship with Him and our relationship with others. This is good and this is right. But there are other times when it comes to prayer. That it's not about how I feel that day. It's not about how my neighbor's doing that day. It's not about the provision that God's provided that day. It's about being fed up, tired, and weary of battling the same thing over and over again. It's when we get to a point where the challenger's voice in the valley annoys us. I'm coming today with a little bit of abrasiveness. Hold on. When he bothers us, he begins to rub us the wrong way. He begins to make our skin curl in, in fury and, and righteous indignation. I'm tired of him tempting me with this. I'm tired of fighting this battle over and over again. And it's not just the simple everyday prayers of life uh, that win in that battle. But it's intercessory prayer where you get to a point where you pray until something changes. It's when you get to a point where you pray fervently. The clock loses its importance. The calendar loses its schedule. There's nothing of any person's opinion that matters. I'm going into battle. I'm going into war. I'm fighting against something. And I'm going to stay until the battle is won. I'm going to stay until this enemy is conquered. 
is fervent prayer. The second practical way you engage in spiritual warfare. Hold on. Here's a moment of revelation. It's just righteous and holy living. It's righteous and holy living. Every time you resist temptation and do what is biblically right, you punch the devil right in the face. His temptation is get angry. His temptation is get mad. His temptation is take another drink. His temptation is take another puff. His temptation is cheat just a little bit. His temptation is lie just a little bit. And every time you live right and you live holy and you say, I'll not bend to the temptation as small or insignificant as it may seem to those around me. I'll not bend to it today. I'll punch him right in the face. I'm going to live right today. I'm going to stand up holy today. I'm going to represent the God I serve today. Every time you walk out your door and you're living a holy lifestyle, Lucifer loses that day and you win. Every time you open your Bible and you begin to read scripture, the bully is defeated and you advance forward. Just living right is winning. You thought there was some Extreme martial art you had to learn to be successful in spiritual warfare. You thought you had to learn all the right syllables of hayah and yah. No, 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 no. All you got to do is put your feet on the floor and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And I will serve the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Today, I set first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Today, I will do what God's called me today. Today, I will be who God called me to be. Today, I will live the life that God called me to live. In this moment, I'll speak honesty. In this moment, I'll live out the truth of his word. Today, I am a day. Today is the day that the Lord has made. And I will live to every blessing that he's brought into my life. Righteous, holy living is one of the best ways you win in spiritual warfare. Rather than worrying about the devil coming against us, our greatest thought and process should be, how do I live right today? How do I live holy today? How do I live pleasing to God today? So if you'll pray, with intercessory prayer and you'll live right and you'll live holy and then the third that I want to mention to us today is fasting fasting is spiritual warfare now sometimes it feels like real fleshly warfare like hand get off that refrigerator door that's a real battle. Brain, quit taking inventory of the cupboard, the pantry. If you have a second fridge in the garage, you don't know what's in there half the time until you're fasting. Then you remember everything that's in the garage. 
Oh, yeah, I think I put some Reese cups in there freeze about six months ago. I forgot all about those. It's, it's fasting day. Fasting is more than skipping meals. Fasting is more than laying aside something that we enjoy doing for a period of time. What we ought to do in those times of release is we should replace it with spiritual disciplines. When everybody else is at the dinner table eating physical food, we should be feasting on the word of God. When others are engaged in social outings or activities, close yourself in a prayer closet and let yourself draw nearer to God in relationship with him. Because fasting is telling the flesh no for the intended purpose of becoming more spiritually aware. The devil don't like it when you fast. Because when you fast... I want to be careful how I say this. When you fast, you tap into your power source. Not that the power source has changed in any way. We just become more aware of it. We just become more connected to it. Does that make sense? <coughs> These are foundational to the beginning follower of Jesus Christ. These three practical ways to war in the spirit are important to us. Their importance could not be I am not going to take the time today to preach a message on each three of those. But if you want to engage in spiritual warfare, get rid of the mystical and get a hold of the practical. Pray fervently. Live right. And dedicate some time to God. The purpose of doing these practical actions with God is not that we would be built up in pride or that we would be puffed up in religious arrogance. It's not that we would receive recognition or accolades because of what we have done or the tasks that we completed. It's not that our works would be fanned and stood in awe of by those around us. It's simply so that we, we become more aware when the enemy starts to lurk around with temptation and deception. All right, this is where I blow up the devil's scheme. You ready? You want to take a note? This is where you should take your notes. Most of the chaos in our lives that gets blamed on the devil isn't even the devil's fault. If you've been buried in the watery grave of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and you've been filled with his spirit evidence by speaking in tongues, he has no authority in your life. You're covered by the name and you're filled with the spirit. He can't just walk into your life and start messing with stuff. He can't cause chaos without permission. But what he does is he begins to send temptation. He begins to whisper and speak deception. He begins to set the trap. <laughs> 
and he waits for our flesh to create the chaos. The Psalms speaks of the snare of the fowler. Did you know there's a, an enormous difference between a bear trap and a bird trap? A bear trap won't work if you're trying to catch a bird. Satan is sly. What's that song we used to sing in Sunday school? He's a sly old fox. If I could catch him, I'd put him in a box. Lock that box and throw away the key for all the dirty little tricks he's played on me. The snare of the fowler, the trap that catches a bird, is small, it's hard to see, it's easily concealed, and it's ultra sensitive. All it takes is the softest landing of that bird and it's caught, it's trapped. We need to have a sensitivity in the Holy Ghost. We need to have a sensitivity when it comes to spiritual warfare. That when the traps have been set around us, uh, we're aware of them. Uh, we see them. Uh, we have eyes that say, I'm not going to fall in that and cause chaos. Uh, I'm not going to trip that and cause confusion. I'm not going to let that begin to work in my life uh, and bring me back from where I've been before. Hey, someone might say something, but you're not going to trigger me today. Someone may act in a way, but I'm not going to let that disrupt me today. Day. I want to tell you one of the hardest or one of the, the, the biggest things Satan tries to do and, and the hardest things for us to overcome are the everyday things that he uses uh, as temptations uh, and small little traps to get us to create the chaos. Sometimes spiritual warfare is nothing more and nothing less than just looking at yourself and saying, no, not today. What's the t-shirt? No, devil, not today. I need a t-shirt that says, no, Todd, not today. We need a t-shirt that says, no, flesh, not today. I'm not going to fall for the trap. I'm not going to fall for what he set for us, God, give us wisdom to avoid them and give us the authority to destroy every trap the enemy would set before us. In our reading today, it said, Thou comest, David is speaking, he says, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to you or to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Satan fights in the flesh. Satan fights with the physical. Satan fights with swords and spears and shields. But we don't fight with swords and shields and spears. We fight in the spirit. We fight in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Maybe you've been in a moment or maybe you've been in a situation where you were affronted by a spirit that had used some fleshly, carnal apparatus, maybe even person, to come after you. Have you ever felt holy, righteous indignation well up you and you rebuke it in the name of Jesus? I've heard the stories of some patriarchs, those who have gone on before us, who have found themselves in desperate situations and they just simply called on the name of Jesus. They didn't get weapons. They didn't put up their fists. They didn't engage the legal system. They didn't get vindictive. They didn't get offended. They didn't let bitterness set into their heart. They just simply said, in the name of Jesus, I come against this battle. I come against the source of this temptation. I come against the source of this evil. In the name of Jesus, I tear down this stronghold. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the authority that you're trying to take in this house. In the name of Jesus, Jesus, I declare victory over this situation. And when we call on him, he shows up. It doesn't matter how big the giant is. It doesn't matter if he's been labeled a challenger. It doesn't matter how loud or boisterous he declares against you. There's no name higher, more powerful, with greater authority than the name of Jesus. He said all power in heaven and earth has been given unto him. You can call on his name in any situation and he'll bring you victory. So, when the battle begins and all you see are swords and spears and shields, all you see coming against you is flesh, I want to tell you today, don't fight back in the flesh. Fight back in the spirit. Take it to your prayer closet and pray with intercession on it, over it. And dare I say today, through it. Sometimes praying through means you got to pray through. I know that's, that's old religious Pentecostal language. You got to pray through. What's that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means you pray until it changes. You pray until you're from, you move from this side of the situation to the other side of the situation. And sometimes God miraculously moves it out of the way and you get to walk down the path. And then there's other times you've got to pray through it. Right through the middle of it. Right through the middle of the dark cloud. Right through the middle of the thunder. Right through the middle of the lightning. Right through the middle of the pain. Right through the middle of the chaos. Right through the middle of all the uncertainty. But God said he'll be with you. And in the middle of your battle, he'll prepare a table before you. He'll anoint you in the middle of the battle. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be scared of it. Stand up and boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. Satan comes against you and he begins to fight you and all he has to present to you is flesh swords and spears and shields don't re-engage him in the flesh just live right just live right there's no greater testimony than truth there's no greater testimony than living right there's no greater testimony than the testimony of your character 
before God. Any man can find a reason to impugn another man's integrity. Any person can make up a reason to defame or defraud in this life. But if my heart is right before God and my spirit is right before God, he doesn't look at the flesh. God looks at the heart. And if you're living your life right before God, just keep living right before God. And if you're in the middle of the battle and all you see around you are fleshly weapons, swords and spears and shields coming against you, I declare to you today, remove yourself from the arena of the flesh. Find yourself a closet of prayer. Find you a place of separation. Maybe you have to let some meals go. Or or maybe you'll have to let some social engagements go. Maybe for a time and for a season you'll have to change your involvement in some But if you'll separate yourself as unto God, he will begin to fight your battle. He will fight on your behalf. I don't know. I've never seen it in the spirit world. I don't know what the archangel Michael looks like. He may be 12 foot tall and strapping and and bulk and cut like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I have no idea. But I know if I'll give it to God, he'll dispatch his his warriors to fight my enemies. It doesn't always happen in my time frame. It doesn't always happen with my expectations. But if I'll stay separated unto him and wait until the situation changes, he will bring us victory in the end. (laughs) Daniel began to pray about some situations going on. And he was warring in the spirit. What a dedicated man of prayer, Daniel. Three times a day, morning, noon, and night, he would pray. He interceded. He talked to God. And he kept praying about it. And he kept praying about it. And he kept praying about it. And he had the, the incredible experience of, of his delivering, warring angel to come to him. And his angel's like, hey, man, we got the first message you sent. We've been on our way. We've just been fighting all the way to get here. That's a paraphrase. I want to tell you, we sing the song, and it's more than just lyrics. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. Even when I don't understand what's going on, he's still working. And all we can do is like Daniel did. I don't know what's happening on the other side. I don't know what's going on in the spirit realm. I don't know if God's working other people's lives to get them in alignment or if he's just warring. I don't know what God's big master plan is. It's beyond the mirror that I can't see through. But I'm going to keep being faithful. I'm going to keep being loyal to God. I'm going to keep my faithfulness to God. I'm going to keep my prayer, my fasting tuned into the spirit and what God is doing. verse that we read today, the passage we read today (coughs) made a declaration you got to understand the situation 10 foot giant he's got a tally list of victories he's standing with weapons to weighed insurmountable weights 
normal man would struggle to handle the weaponry that Goliath so easily fought with. Not only was he physically intimidating to look upon, but his voice and the words which he proclaimed were so bold and shocking. He's bellowing in the valley. I can't tell, I don't have time to tell you the whole story today. But David, he shows up, he hears it, he, he goes through a whole process. Finally, he ends up at the brook. David, you study this out? Little David. Somewhere between 14 and 17 years of age. Bible calls him Rudy, ready, ready. Mama's baby face, blondish red hair. His dad just put him out in the, in the field with the sheep, you know, the, the gentle, lame, tame sheep. Not lame, but tame. The gentle, tame sheep to care for them. He's not going to be, he's, he's not going to work the field. I don't think he'd make it all day. He's, he's not quite strong enough. He's not going to work the cattle and the, and the oxen over here. I don't, I don't think he's got enough to, to handle, handle them, them big beasts of, of labor. He's going to just go work out in the field with the sheep. When God's with you, anything's possible. When God's with you and you're just watching over sheep, lions can show up and you rip their face in half. When God's with you, you can just be, be watching the sheep and everybody else think you're just out on the backside just watching tame little sheep eat grass. And then you lead them from the, the no grass to the where there is grass. Now, how hard is that? You'd think they'd follow the grass themselves. But when a, a bear comes out, you rip that bear's jaws open and you pull out the remaining left, the lamb, and you nurse it back to health. This is David. Some experience in his back pocket. But all the armies of Israel sit behind their rock peering around the corner. Who picked him? Better text your wife. Looks like we're going to be servants. What's the kid doing in the valley? My life is at stake. Who chose him to go do this? And he begins to scream with boldness right back at the giant. And he makes declaration, this day the Lord deliver thee into my hand. It doesn't matter what everybody else sees uh, when they look at you. They may discount you because of this uh, or because of that. Uh, they may say your stature isn't right. Uh, your preparation isn't right. Uh, you don't look right. You don't fit the mold. Uh, you've not had this pedigree. Uh, you've not come from this lineage. Uh, you don't have this situation set in your life. Uh, you don't have this or that. 
in place. They may say there's all these reasons why you can't and why you shouldn't fight this battle. But I tell you today, if you're anointed of God, you can run into the valley and you can look your battle square in the face and you can say, God will deliver you into my hands today. It's not that we are looking to tally up battle wins for ourselves. But the victory is a spiritual victory. And the results come to us because of Jesus Christ. He delivers the enemy into our hands. I don't doubt the marksmanship of David. What else are you going to do when you're just watching sheep all day? Carry a sling and sling rocks across the field. He could probably hit a dandelion from 100 yards. I knew an elder who was a marksman with a slingshot. And I'd watched him do it. You could throw a bottle cap, like a 20-ounce bottle, like this water bottle cap. You could stand 20 yards away, flip it in the air. He'd pull out a slingshot. Bam! Nail it. Oh, and he only had one eye. Practice, man. I have no doubt that David had marksmanship. You didn't even have to draw an X on Goliath's head. David had already found it. But there's something about when you're anointed and you do whatever God has gifted you to do and that anointing falls upon it. You may hit the mark, but God takes what you would simply hit the mark with and he makes it deadly. A rock hit Goliath in the head. And the Bible says that rock sunk into his head. I'm not trying to be gruesome. It's just the Bible. I wonder if someone yelled, Timber. Boom. Sorry, VeggieTales images are in my mind. Dust pluming and. God took what David had and used it to deliver David's enemy into his hand. If you'll take what you have and you'll give it to God, he'll use whatever you have to deliver the enemy into your hand. Your flesh against the flesh around you will be defeat. But your flesh anointed into a spiritual battle that God wraps himself and gets involved in will turn your spiritual battle into victory. God will take what you are doing. He will anoint it and he will use it to deliver the enemy into your hands. When you're in battle, 
you must destroy the enemy. Takes me back to the story of Saul. Saul's told, you must utterly, entirely, without doubt, across every aspect and division of human and animal, destroy the Amalekites. Kill every leader, every follower, every man, every woman, every child, every animal, every beast, every cat, dog, rat, frog, mouse, fly. Squish them. Get rid of them. Annihilate them. They're an enemy of God. That sounds brutal. It is brutal. The Old Testament can be pretty rough. The principle is when God sends you to battle and tells you to kill the enemy, we must kill the enemy. But Saul was satisfied with subduing the enemy. Saul was satisfied with declaring himself victor over the enemy and collecting the spoils of war. Saul was satisfied with increasing his wealth because of his ability to war against the Amalekites. This was disobedience. He saved the king alive. He saved the best of their gold and possessions alive. He saved the best of their livestock alive. And he brings it all back to Israel. And the prophet shows up and says, What is that I hear? Oh, that's the best of their animals. Oh, who's that guy? Well, this is their king. Look, we captured him. He's a prisoner of war. Look at us. We're victorious. Long story short, the prophet takes the sword and finishes what Saul didn't do. Saul's disobedience led to the resurgence of the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were a constant enemy and a thorn in the side of God's people. The language that David yelled at Goliath goes like this. I will smite thee and take thy head from thee. And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Yes, it's a militant mindset. And yes, it's an aggressive posture. But there's sometimes that you just got to be done fighting. There has to be sometimes it gets inside your spirit. I'm tired of coming around this again and again and again. I'm tired of dealing with Philistines over and over again. I'm tired of every morning, noon, or night this champion stepping into the valley and defying my God. I'm tired of the chaos it's creating. I'm tired of the dysfunction it's causing. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight it until it is annihilated. I'm going to fight Fight it until its head comes off. I'm going to fight it until every follower of it is laid out. Amen. 
It's not the fleshly battle that we're supposed to annihilate in. It's the spiritual battle. There needs to be something that crawls upon us and builds inside of us in that prayer closet that says, I'm not leaving this room until it's different. Flesh is temporal, but the spirit is eternal. Can I tell you something today? In all of your great wisdom and all of your persuasiveness, you may win the battle in the flesh. But if you haven't defeated it in the spirit, you'll fight that battle again. Because that spirit will just find another fleshly avenue to come back at you. I'm going to tell you today, you could create a habit and in the flesh win and no longer sin. But until you have victory over the spirits that are tempting you, there will always be a recurring fight. I'm preaching to somebody today. You've been fighting some stuff in the flesh. You've won in the flesh. But you're still fighting the battle again and again and again. Today you need to put your foot in the ground. You need to stand up, bow your chest out a little bit, and look your enemy in the face and say, this is the last time we're going to have this fight. There's not another round to this boxing match. This is the last match. We're not fighting till the bell rings. We're fighting until you die. Just subduing isn't enough. You gotta take their head off. You gotta make an example out of him in front of all the other tempting spirits in your life. Then when the champion stands over you, and says he's going to declare victory. No. In the end, you stand over him and declare victory because of Jesus Christ. I'm preaching to you today because I believe in every ounce of my body. I'm going to go a little pastoral for a minute. Is that all right? Make it a little rough. Put your seatbelt on. If you're in an airplane, they would say, please return to your seats and buckle up. We are ex planning to experience some turbulence. Some spiritual battles that the Lord has laid on my heart to speak to us about this morning that we need to win. The first is prayerlessness. I've made this statement a few times already this morning, but we're going to go there again. We need to pray until stuff changes. Thank you for every prayer you've ever prayed. Thank you for the act of prayer that you prayed. But I want to ask you, will you join me and make a commitment that prayer is not a task that I'm doing to be accomplished Prayer meeting is not a meeting that I can mark off my attendance to. My daily time of prayer is this not simply a, a, a checkbox or, a, or, a, or a, a moment of, of something I did so I can feel good about myself. I want to tell you today, we need to get into a place of prayer where we pray until stuff changes. There's two reasons people don't pray. Are you ready? There's only two. The first reason people don't pray, they don't want to. 
And if you don't want to pray, you got a fleshly battle you need to fight. That's not spiritual. That's fleshly. You need to look yourself in the face, in the mirror. It's easier to look yourself in the face in the mirror. Say, hey, listen, buddy. You're going to pray today. I don't want to. I didn't ask you if you wanted to. You're going to pray today. I don't feel like it. I didn't remember asking you how you felt about it. You're going to pray today. I don't got time. Better make time because you're going to pray today. My calendar's full. Cancel something. You're praying today. Well, my family needs me. Not until you get done praying, they don't. Well, that's just rude. No, there's some times we need to get an intercessory prayer. We need to turn our prayer life into a time of prayer that changes things. I give honor to every elder and every trailblazer that has gone before us in prayer. And I've heard them make statements like, oh, I spend an hour or two hours in prayer at a time. I wonder if they've discovered something that we need to rediscover. I wonder if they discovered it takes that long for stuff to change sometimes. How many times have I put myself in a place of prayer? Maybe you've been there too. And ten minutes later you're like, well, I guess God ain't working on this one today. And we lose faith. We lose confidence. We get up discouraged. We get up downtrodden and, and all messed up mentally and all messed up spiritually because we gave God 10 minutes and he didn't do it. What happens if we just get something inside of us, a warrior spirit inside of us, a, a spiritual warfare attitude inside of us that says, I will pray until it changes. It may be five minutes, it may be 50 minutes, it may be an hour, it may be two hours, it may be all day. I may have to stop and get something to drink and, and eat lunch and then come back and keep praying. But I'm going to pray until the situation changes. That's radical. Okay. I'm preaching to us today. If I don't want to pray, that's the number one indicator I need to pray. Second reason people don't pray. They don't believe their prayer matters. Write this down. Note this. Mental note. Your prayer matters. End of story. It doesn't matter who, where, or what tells you your prayer doesn't matter. They're a liar. Your prayer matters. Period. End of story. And you can tell them I said so. If you're praying and someone says you shouldn't pray about that, it ain't going to make no difference. You say my pastor said I should pray about it and it matters. If someone tells you, why well, you should quit praying for that kid, that son, that daughter. You've been praying for years and God's not ever done anything. That ain't making no difference. You look at them square in the face and you say, my pastor said I should keep praying because it matters. 
If you're praying about a job situation and it hasn't changed and you're being faithful to God in your stewardship and someone says, well, God's not listening to your prayer. I want you to do something. I want you to keep praying about it and look him in the face and say, God said if I'll continuously pray, he'll work on my behalf. There's only one prayer God can't answer and it's the prayer you don't pray. Every other prayer matters to God. We're fixing to go into the field and we're going to face some stuff. Hold on, this is where it gets turbulent. You're going to face some people that have done some stuff and said some stuff or doing some stuff. They may even say some stuff to you while you're in the field. You're going to face some chaos. You're going to face some pushback. You're going to face some, some, some persecution. I'm not trying to dissuade you from getting in the field. I'm telling you, when we're in the field, we're going to face some stuff. And we got to fight against allowing the spirits of hatred of this world to get a hold of us. You can redefine it however you want to redefine it. But hate is hate is hate. And Christians don't hate. I thought there would be a stronger amen. Christians don't hate. You can justify your hate in the flesh, but all you've done is made a fleshly reason to justify your hate. You can't wordsmith yourself out of hatred. Hate is hate is hate. Jesus told his followers the following, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that persecute you. There was no room in the commandment of Jesus Christ. Allowance was not made for fleshly justifications for hatred. We've got to learn how to love. Love from the top to the bottom. Love them if they're the same color as you or not. I'm going there. Hold up. Love them if they speak your language or not. Love them if they have your lifestyle or not. Love them if they live the perfect life or not. Love them if they're pretty or ugly. Love them if they're fat or skinny. Love them if they're good or bad. Love them if they're holy or wicked. There's no exception made in Scripture that allows for hatred. We love with purpose. We love because God first loved us. And there is no reason that I could come up with that I could ever stand before the throne of God and say because of point one of my list, you have to love me. How arrogant it would be to think that any of us has a list that would demand the love of God upon us. But while we were yet sinners, 
while we were yet afar from him, while we were yet adulterers and murderers and fornicators and liars and sinners and cheaters and drunks, he still loved us. He still cared for us. He looked through the eons of time. He saw you and he saw me and he said, I'll die for you individually. I want to make a point very clear. Christ did not die for humanity as a whole. Christ died for us as individuals. If you want to prescribe that God died for humanity as a whole, then you'll be able to divide humanity up into people groups and say this group qualifies and that group doesn't. But no, God's death wasn't for a group or a categorization of people. He died for you as an individual. He died for you personally. Why did he do it? So that my sins could be forgiven. Not the sins of some group I'm a part of could be forgiven. Not that the sins of some people categorization I'm a part of could be forgiven. But so that Todd Johnson's sins could be forgiven. He died so that your sins could be forgiven. That's the power of the cross. It's not just blood for this segment of society. It's not just blood for this elect group of people. It's blood for us individually. And if God's blood's good enough for you, and God's blood's good enough for me, then God's blood's good enough for anybody. And if God could love them, I should love them. Another spiritual warfare we fight is the battle of inconsistency. For the time watchers, this is the last one, and then I'm closing. Inconsistency. You fight inconsistency with commitment. To do right occasionally is the expectation that has been set for those newly born into the kingdom of God. But the sign of a maturing Christian is a follower of Christ who grows in their consistency, who grows in their faithfulness. The picture of our lives are not based upon the intentions of our lives. The picture of our life is not painted with the paintbrush of occasional activity in our lives but the picture of our lives what people see in us is those things that we do consistently well I'm a prayer warrior okay you intend to be a prayer warrior or are you a prayer warrior I know I'm being a little forward today I don't normally preach this hard but I'm telling you, we're fixing to go into the field and we're fixing to face some stuff uh, and we're going to have to fight some battles uh, and we're going to have to win. Right. We're going to win. God's on our side. But when we win, we're going to look back and we're going to say, I won because I was consistent. I won because I built up my prayer life. I won because I was willing to love somebody nobody else was willing to love. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, 
For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into your hand. If I could say everything I've said today and wrap it up into this bow and hand it to you, you won't beat flesh with flesh. The enemy will come against you with swords and spears and shields. But we don't fight with swords and spears and shields. The enemy comes against us with flesh. He tries to cause flesh to trip us up. He uses flesh to lead us into temptation. He uses flesh to remind us of our past. He uses flesh to tell us about how unworthy we are of a future. But I want to tell you today, I don't war against flesh with flesh. I war against flesh with spirit I call on Jesus and when Jesus shows up and when Jesus does what only Jesus can do he delivers the enemy into our hands and the champion falls and we stand up the champion. We can then say, it's not I that has done it, but he that liveth inside of me. It's him that worketh through me that has done this. They took the disciples, got mad at them because they healed a, a lame man. Somebody's got problems, but I won't go there. Well, we want the lame people to stay lame. Really? So he heals a lame man, gives the guy a better future, raises him up. He's able to become a productive citizen of society. You'd have thought those people would have been excited about more taxes coming in. Whatever. They get mad at him. Well, here's the reality. They weren't mad at him because they healed him. They were mad at him because they used the name of Jesus Christ to heal him. And so the apostles fought a little bit of spiritual warfare. They got whipped. I ain't asking God for none of that. And they were said, you can go do whatever you want to do. Don't speak the name. <laughs> There's something different about Live Spring Church than every other church. In this area of Springfield. There's something different about us. We believe in the name. We don't believe the name is a part of God. We believe the name is God. We don't believe there's power through the name. We believe the name is the power. Do I need to describe that? Do I need to explain that? We don't talk to Jesus for him to go intercede for us to the Father to give us power to work. We talk to Jesus because he is the power that does the work. So when we begin to move through our community, yes, we've got programs. 
And maybe we'll have more. And we'll invite people. Come to Life Spring Recovery. It'll help you find direction. Come to service on Sunday. Sign up for a Bible study. We'll have all of these different things we'll present to people. And that's probably no different than any other religious church or organization around us. But there's something different that we carry with us than just a bag of handouts and cards and invitations. We carry with us the almighty name of Jesus. And when you begin to walk in a neighborhood or you begin to have a conversation at the water cooler or you're in the marketplace and God opens the door don't be fearful or afraid to bring on the power don't be afraid to speak the name of Jesus your conversation about why the carrots weren't on sale today may end up about a child that's that's bound up in addiction You can say it, I guess. I'll be happy if you say it. I'll take that prayer request back to church. I'll I'll, I'll pray for them. But please, I would prefer, I would prefer the answer you would give would be, hey, pastor, we were talking about carrots, and somehow we were talking about a child strung out on drugs. Uh, and, and would you join me in praying for them? We, well, I prayed right there in the grocery store. In the name of Jesus, would you join me in prayer? Now, some of y'all's personalities are just going, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) I didn't say you had to jump up on the register, grab the microphone, and scream it across the grocery store. All you got to do is just simply maybe put your hand on their shoulder and just pray a quiet little prayer. You don't have to go all Simon Peter on them. Now, if that's your personality, do it. You may end up with a line of people to pray for. And there ain't nothing wrong with that either. All right, I'm off course. Stand up. I'm going to give you guys hope. Close this. Let's give you even more hope. The Bible says they turned their world upside down. Some people don't like it when their world gets turned upside down. What happens when dad gets delivered and mom's lost her drug dealer? Somebody's world gets turned upside down. What happened when she's lived a promiscuous lifestyle her whole life and that's her only definition of love, but she finds out what the love of Jesus means and she decides to reserve herself for the one that God sends into her life at some time and everybody else that's been in line gets disappointed because their their world just got turned upside down. Yeah, we're going to face some stuff. There'll be some enemies. There'll be some spiritual battles. But that's not a reason enough for me to stand in the kitchen and look over the sink at a field that is white and ready for harvest and say, oh, there's just too much turmoil out there. Oh, the wind's blowing too hard today. I can't go in the field. 
Oh, I see a storm cloud in the, in the distance. I, I can't go harvest today. Oh, my neighbor screaming across the fence. He thinks I should let it wait a little longer. No, I'm going to be in the harvest. I'm getting in the field. God's called me to something bigger than where I am and what I'm doing. God's pulling at me. God's yearning for me to take a step of faith. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to become the evangelist in my neighborhood. I'm going to become the evangelist on my job. Every time I walk into the store, anybody on aisle four knows I'm going to be the evangelist of aisle four while I'm shopping right there. Everybody would come forward. Here's my commitment I'm asking you to make. Not to me, but with me. We're going to make this commitment to God together. I commit to God that I will fight every soul that he brings into my life. I will fight for the harvest. I will fight to see them saved. I'll fight to see their soul redeemed. I'll fight to see them make it to heaven. I'll fight to see addiction broken off them. I'll fight to see old labels fall off their life. I'll fight for new hope. I'll fight for new promise. I'll fight for them to be saved, delivered. I want them to be my neighbor in heaven. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.